the, the universe is the physical manifestation of nature. And uh, I firmly believe that, that Bitcoin is its digital manifestation. Bitcoin is a, is a universe in its own right. That was Hass McCook, also known as Firehass, who first came on my radar when I talked to Gigi about his religious experience and his conversations with Hass. Now, this is a very interesting conversation that follows along in the vein of the Bitcoin religion theme that I have been delving into for the past quite a few months. We talk about that topic as well as the, you know, memes and the natural patterns of Bitcoin as well as a lot of other different things. I think you guys are going to really enjoy this episode. So please stay tuned. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And enjoy this episode. Welcome to the show. Oh, good to be here. Thanks for having me on. And, you know, I, I remember we were talking you know, just a little bit ago, though, but uh, I remember seeing you on Twitter, you know, prior to kind of really getting tuned into you. And then, you know, Bitcoin has kind of brought us together through my conversations with uh, with Gigi. And, you know, in my interviews with him, you know, your name kept on coming up as basically this kind of fellow traveler in the, uh, I guess, if you want to put it this way, the kind of Bitcoin mystic space that we kind of seem to be caught up in. But, you know, before we kind of delve down this road, I was wondering how, how did Bitcoin find you originally? So uh, found me uh, by accident, really. I'd, uh, I'd heard it mentioned in, uh, in early 2013 in passing when I was catching up, uh, you know, with drinks uh, uh, for, with a friend and he's like, Oh, have you heard of this Bitcoin thing? It's, you know, it's just hit $200 and they think it's going to be a thousand dollars. I'm like, you know, that sounds good. Tell me, tell me about Bitcoin. What's this Bitcoin thing? And he's like, Oh, I don't know. It's, you know, some digital currency. And then, you know, the conversation moved away and, and, and that was that. Now, uh, a couple of months later on, uh, on summer break, I was at university at the time. Uh, reading the internet and the name Bitcoin popped up and, uh, you know, looked into it, read the white paper, was completely amazed, completely hooked instantly. And then uh, it was time to, you know, try buy some Bitcoin. And, uh, you know, I'm uh, being Australian. I was living and studying in England at the time. Uh, wasn't really part of the banking system. Uh, the only place selling Bitcoin was this place called like Bitalicious. Uh, apparently they're, they're legit, <laughs> like, you know, back they are and they're still in business apparently. But back then you read the, you know, you read the name Bitalicious and, uh, it's not really, uh, awe inspiring. So I said, all right, as soon as I get back to Sydney in October, uh, I'll, uh, I'll get myself some Bitcoin. So I found a, a couple of brokers, uh, in Sydney, oddly enough, uh, an alumni from my, from my business school was one of the angels. So I uh, naturally trusted it, and uh, and uh, off I went, uh, and that's uh, and that's how my Bitcoin story started. It was quite tragic uh, because uh, 
most of uh, most of my buy orders were in that bubble and you know i uh, i held bags in the red for a thousand days and i suppose uh, it's only through uh, real suffering like that uh, can someone find uh, find religion they always say people turn to god in times of tragedy uh, for me uh, the the times of tragedy uh, uh, reaffirmed and and strengthened my views that you know uh, I'm I'm happy to lose everything uh, for this cause. Well, just hearing you talk about that, it just reminds me how far we've come over the last you know ten years or so, uh, eight ten years. Thinking about you know people talking about it at that time, you know at one hundred and two hundred dollars the future of money and all this kind of stuff. And you're going, Oh yeah, where can I buy that? Oh, at Bitalicious. You know, we've, 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 we've come quite, quite far in, in how we're able to, to access, uh, you know, the network and, and be able to, to interact with it and other people involved. But, but I, you know, I, I totally agree that, that, you know, Bitcoin has anybody that's been in it for any period of time has, has experienced that. Now they either do what you did which is to just you know hold on and just ride that wave and 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 hope for the best um you know pray for better times it, but or some others just fall off fall off the face of the earth and i guess uh, you know to put it in that in religious terms as well they're kind of purified by that crucible of of uh, of losing faith and only to come back later and have to make even a greater sacrifice of of uh, of coming in at a at a later date but it's it is Bitcoin is definitely especially these earlier days has has been a you know just a roller coaster of emotion especially those first few years that you're in it just watching and going well you know it, it went up to this and and you know just looking at the personal gain and just in those very narrow terms that you could make and then watching what you'd invested uh, go into about you know ten percent of what it had been prior to that is is uh, is a bit of a, a pretty rough experience especially for most of us were pretty young i imagine um like you said you were you were in school so oh, i was in, in grad school grad, grad okay. school business school so uh so late 20s uh, mid to late 20s uh, but for me i always tell people uh, it's not about the money it's about the money no, abs and, uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, and for me, I was more emotionally tied to the investment and uh, my worldview, uh, and probably you could even say religious view uh, and philosophical view was in lockstep with Bitcoin. That this this could really be the the way forward for civilization. This is this is what we need. Uh, you know, the as uh, as my friend Kayvon. Uh, Devani always said the ethical root layer, and when I saw you know Bitcoin finished by the market, I sort of took that as you know the world rejecting my worldview. And uh, there was a you know a lot of cognitive uh, you know dissonance uh, associated with that, and it's only through holding steadfast for a long time uh, can you realize that you know it's effectively. Uh, you know, uh, uh, a big exercise in, in gaslighting people. Uh, so for me, it's, uh, it's never been about the money. It's been about the money. Uh, you know, it's just a coincidence or a reward uh, that, you know, if you put your money where your mouth is and support something, not only will you get, you know, the, the, the better world that you're looking for, 
you'll probably be able to enjoy yourself with a with a bit of riches as well. But for most of the Bitcoiners I know, uh, I'm fairly certain that several of them will be giving uh, giving away a lot of their stack uh, to you know uh, worthy charities. I, I I do see the the level of ethics uh, and leadership I see just generally in Bitcoin makes me believe that these guys truly are in it uh, for a better world, and they uh, they probably won't shy away uh, from their from their obligations. Uh, uh, when they when they become legitimately very wealthy. Well, to to reach back just a, just a second, because you originally, I mean, it was about uh, not the money, but the money at 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 the very beginning of kind of what what piqued your interest, and at least what I get what I gathered from your story it was this kind of going, oh well, you know this this investment before you really discovered Bitcoin, it was what kind of drove you to get into it. Did uh, you know not knowing your your background and your in your politics? Usually, it's kind of a taboo subject to ask people what their politics are, but I think in Bitcoin, it's a pretty open open book for most people. Um, but was that something that you had already kind of embraced? Uh, you know, a lot of people were kind of libertarianish, and that's what attracted them to Bitcoin. Is that kind of your story? So for me, it's a it's a dual thing. So I started uh, I started my days out as a very idealistic civil engineer used to build desal plants, bridges, roads. And uh, I thought that was sort of the best way for me to make my, uh, you know, positive impact on society and not just that have a, have an impact on millions of people. So in Sydney, we're struggling through a drought. Now our dams are emptying out, uh, the desal plants pumping hard. So I go to, I put my head on my pillow at night saying, you know, I've, I've brought water to a million people. But uh, later in my career, I, uh, I messed up and got involved uh, in the toll road industry. And uh, when, I, when I saw the, the meeting of finance, politics, and civil infrastructure, uh, I, just, uh, I just wanted nothing to do with it anymore and uh, uh, went off to do some soul searching on how I could have you know, legitimate uh, uh, you know, social impact and, and leave a positive uh, legacy. So after, after getting out of the, the toll road business, I was... Uh, Lucky enough to get into into business school at Oxford, which was a which was a life changing experience. Uh, allowed me to do a, a lot of soul searching, open my mind, open my heart, and uh, you know, right place, right time on summer break in Oxford, uh, stumbled upon uh, upon Bitcoin. And uh, and I knew right then and there that that's where that's where the the proper social impact was going to come from. You fix the money, uh, and and everything rolls from there. So I always say, uh, you know, uh, the, the best thing to be is an economic justice warrior, not a social justice warrior. Because once the economics uh, is fixed, uh, all the social problems fall into line pretty quickly thereafter. Well, I have to say it's actually quite impressive because most people, when they're confronted with these types of things that, that cause a bit of, of you know, cognitive dissonance or just, you know, the, the, whatever system that they're, that they're working within that, you know, it bothers them or they just go, you know, this isn't how I thought it would be. Most people just kind of go along to get along and just go, well, I just need a paycheck and I'm just going to take it and then I can go and, you know, do something that I care about, um, you know, later in life. So I do have to give you, you know, props on, on that for, for being able to, 
kind of give up what I, I imagine was a was a you know a good career for yourself, something that uh, you know paid the bills and and uh, uh, you know, I, ha the... I haven't I haven't given it away completely. So I don't work in in big civil oh. infrastructure anymore. Now I work for a for a good family business in the residential construction industry, three days a week only though. Uh, so that that keeps uh, that keeps my auto DCA that keeps my tithe uh, rolling, <laughs> uh, and uh, and yeah, the rest uh, the rest of the time meditating and riding on Bitcoin. Well, and and to to touch on the about being, you know, it's it's about not about the money, but the money, you know, just as far as for the the profit uh, kind of drive that gets a lot of. I mean, most people. Most of us, that's kind of how we first heard about Bitcoin. There, there's a smaller group that kind of heard about it in kind of fringes of, of internet culture and chat rooms and in libertarian circles. But a lot of us first became aware of it. You know, I, I was the same way was that when it started to go up in in price um, in I, I can't remember what it was in early 2013. I think it was probably I guess it was probably around the same time as you when it, it when it was hitting around two hundred dollars or something like that. And yeah, that was early 2013. That sounds about right. Cause when my mate was telling me about it in April, he told me like it had just hit like $250. Okay. Uh, and yeah, the expectation was it would reach a thousand dollars. And like, that was, that was the price target. Seemed ridiculous uh, back then. Uh, but yeah, I'd hate to see it go back to a thousand now. <laughs> Well, it, yeah, he wasn't wrong. I mean, we did touch on that pretty briefly. I think it was about twelve hundred before Mount Gox decided to shit the bed and kind of give us all a headache. But, uh, but it, you know, I've seen it said by some on Twitter, and I don't necessarily disagree with it. Uh, in, in some sense, that the number go up meme is the most socially scalable meme uh, and the best evangeliz evangelization tactic. Um, and that is kind of a get your foot in the door sort of thing. And that's what, you know, like, was, you know, me and, and yourself as well. I mean, that's what got us in and then let us down this, you know, rabbit hole of going, oh, OK, well, the, you know, the, yeah, it can make me money. And then, OK, well, maybe I should start to understand now that I've just bought, you know, two hundred dollars or a thousand dollars of this thing. What What is it actually? Then you watch you know, a couple videos on um, basics of, you know, how a blockchain works and what is proof of work mining. And not everybody goes down the road where they continue to go down that rabbit hole and continually discover that they don't understand Bitcoin the more they learned about it, learn about it. But, uh, you know, a good portion of people or, you know, a, a good minority of people do do that. Do you feel that it is the most socially scalable meme and that we should promote that? Or do you think it's something that we should kind of put a little bit farther back and focus on other aspects of Bitcoin ahead of it? Yeah. Look, I'll just comment on, on, uh, on what you just said a little earlier about how you get in. I was, my story is a tragedy. So, uh, between July when I found out about it in summer and between my first purchase in October, I was pretty much reading Bitcoin content for 10 hours a day. I'd seen every video, like I'd seen everything like, uh, like to me, even a thousand bucks was cheap. Uh, you know, I started thinking about, you know, the, the companies of the, of the time, Snapchat, 50 billion. I'm like, Bitcoin's heaps better than Snapchat. So, you know, there's 10 grand off the bat. Uh, you know, just from, uh, just like, uh, 
And because I was already so deep in before I made my first purchase, uh, basically like I was throwing money hand over fist going all in. Uh, my problem was uh, when, I, when I started my first purchase uh, for the protection of their customers, uh, the broker I was using wouldn't let you buy more than 200 a day. So, uh, but every time you put a deposit in your account, like your daily limit goes up uh, $10. So what I, what I would do is uh, I'd send like uh, uh, 50 $1 transactions a day over internet banking. And I'd go down to the bank every morning uh, uh, with as much, uh, as much cash as I could pull out of an ATM and split it up into like 50 deposits. So I was trying to get my balance up real quick. So like my first real purchases, the big ones, my all-in purchases were, were, were right there at the $1,000 mark. Uh, and oh, and I thought hurt. that, you know, and I thought this, this is still going uh, at least to 10, 15,000. Uh, but yeah, I was, uh, I was horribly wrong uh, because, uh, you know, at the top, we got uh, Bitfinex opened and the market for shorting opened and yeah, party was over. Yeah, you know, it's, it, it, that's quite a few, I imagine uh, in, in a different uh, in a different scale, that's quite a few people's stories that were, you know, I had people emailing me and contacting me on Facebook, uh, you know, friends that I hadn't talked to in years. And just because I had talked about, you know, Bitcoin and, and, and stuff like that in the past that were emailing me, you know, in October, November of 2017 and, and going, you know, should I buy this? And you know, should I, you know, buy whatever random coin? Yeah, whatever. That was one I got asked about. I'm like, I've never even heard of it. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, that's another, well, I've, I've been doing a whole kind of background research on on their whole thing uh, around the, the Pornhub um, uh, partnership that I, I think I'm almost finished with. I'm, I'm just waiting to hear a little bit back from some of the, uh, people at Ledger about it um, and their their so-called integration that's never happened, and uh, that's that's a very interesting uh, a very interesting tale about about Verge and uh, and their whole thing. But yeah, that was yeah yeah it's the most uh, private it's the most private coin in the world, right? I don't know. Still, <laughs> I've uh, I've heard of it, but uh, now that I've heard of it, never looked into it. So. Uh, I'm a, I'm a Bitcoin fundamentalist. Yeah, no. And, you know, I have to, I do have to ask you um, because, you know, the downside of like Twitter and all social, it's, it's very, in, it's very hard to ever discern uh, intent uh, as well as tone, right? All you can read is just the written word. And, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I already kind of know your answer to this, but you know, it can seem at times that you're you're being a bit facetious, right? So, like a lot of times, you do your common greeting, of you know, of uh, the keys be upon you, and then you know, and then other uh, tweets, you're you're providing some really deep insight into kind of the, the the I guess if you want to call it the spiritual side, right, of of Bitcoin, especially just listen to Gigi talk about uh, your guys's talk at uh, at the Baltic Honey Badger. It was Baltic Honey Badger, right? Yeah, and. You know, I, I do have to ask you know, how much of the of your personality on Twitter 
is is facetious versus being uh, versus serious, or is it just kind of uh, cloaking seriousness and kind of just a fun jokey tone? Yeah, I think it's a uh, it's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of fun that uh, that everyone uh, can enjoy. Uh, I've always been that guy uh, uh, in the room that everyone's afraid to say it, but I'll put my hand up and say it. And uh, and I think uh, what's it called? Uh, there's there's just been a, a huge uh, religious organic you know uh, quote unquote religious movement uh, come through uh, the past few months and I think uh, the roots of that always come you know from uh, from comedic comedic little memes uh, that catch on but I'd say uh, probably eighty percent uh, having fun twenty uh, percent uh, being serious because uh, Bitcoin really is something very extremely spiritual to me. Well, if you don't mind going into that, what what is it about Bitcoin that that touched you in the way? Because I've heard you uh, talk about, you know, uh, I can't remember what exact interview it was, uh, where, you, where you basically explained that you're not a a religious person as far as in the traditional sense. Um, so, what was it about Bitcoin that kind of awakened um, this aspect in your life? And, and, you know, how do you, uh, you know, in, in, in the seriousness and in the, in the 20% side of yourself, um, how do you actually, I guess, practice that and kind of how does that manifest in your life? So, so for me, I had, uh, so I'd been in, in Bitcoin for a while before I had my, uh, you know, come to Bitcoin, uh, a spiritual moment, uh, uh, that happened in uh, I was on holiday back at back at Oxford in uh, in 2016. I, I wrote my story as uh, as as the forward to Gigi's book actually. Uh, so I was uh, I was sitting uh, in my in my college uh, Christchurch in a in a garden that's called the Master's Garden there in the college and uh, uh, Lewis Carroll was a was a math tutor at at Christchurch at my college and Alice was the dean's daughter. And uh, Lewis Carroll wrote Alice in Wonderland, uh, observing Alice play in the master's garden. Uh, so it was, uh, it was late at night. Uh, you know, I was uh, uh, in, a, in a sort of somber mood. Uh, I was trying to recover, you know, so, some money. And I had, uh, I had money on Bitfinex. I was in an underwater long. And then, uh, and then Bitfinex got hacked. And uh, my physician got forced closed and I took a haircut and it was just uh, bad news after bad news after bad news being in the red for three years. So uh, we're sitting in the, in the bench, uh, clear, clear black sky, uh, maybe one or 2 AM, a little under the influence. And, uh, you know, looked up, uh, looked up at the night sky and, uh, looked at looked at one particular star caught my attention and i just feel i just felt like i uh i zoomed into that star got really up close and personal in that star i i did see uh bitcoin and uh, uh that's when it all connected to me that bitcoin is simply an extension of nature uh and and effectively bitcoin is life uh at the, at the deep down uh, you know, metaphysical, metaphysical, spiritual level. So what I mean by Bitcoin is life. Uh, the, the only thing, uh, uh, you know, uh, that can, you know, mimic and represent 
uh, energy uh, is Bitcoin itself. So all of the energy in the universe uh, is finite, uh, but it's infinitely divisible and transfer transferable, uh, exactly like Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin is simply the, the conversion of energy into money. So Bitcoin is effectively monetized energy. Uh, if everything in nature is energy, then you know everything in nature can potentially be Bitcoin uh, in a in a digital manifestation. So I think the uh, the perfection of its ties to nature uh, that in its own right is is something extremely spiritual, especially for you know for naturists. Uh, me, I'm uh, I sort of uh, uh, kept sort of a, a Taoist discipline for a good uh, six or seven years uh, before, before coming to Bitcoin. And, uh, and the Tao is basically, uh, you know, the acceptance uh, of nature's will and, uh, and the submission to it. Uh, it's something you, you, you can't fight and, and hope to win. Uh, all you can do is, you know, build a raft and, and, and try to sail down its rivers. And I, and I don't think there's a better analogy for that than Bitcoin. Yeah, you know it's it is interesting because one of the one of the things um, I'd, I'd studied permaculture for quite a few years. I don't know if you're familiar with it at all. Um, it actually its roots are actually in in Australia. Um, uh, yeah, Bill Molson, kind of the progenitor of of permaculture, or at least uh, kind of the who codified kind of the the tenets of it, and and. Uh, which is basically just interactive systems. Um, most often people use it for natural systems, things like, uh, you know, gardens and, and food forests and food production, but integrating animals and, all, you know, it, it, basically anything that you can imagine in the natural space to uh, improve the, both the production and the health of that system. Um, yeah, a and... lot of that, uh, a lot of that comes from, uh, from the indigenous teachings. Okay. And uh, 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 you know the the, the indigenous uh, uh, religion. Well, uh, I, I I heard your your episode with uh, Giacomo, and obviously uh, you know you can define religion in in various ways, but the uh, uh, the spiritual aspects and uh, and traditions of the indigenous Australians uh, very very interesting, and uh, and permaculture and uh, letting nature sort itself out. For best results uh, is a very very huge part of culture. So I'm not surprised that that permaculture uh, is being pioneered here in Australia. Yeah, do, well, one of the things that they they teach you in there is is pattern recognition, right? Is recognizing patterns in nature, and which also you know moves on into other spaces, whether you're in business or. Um, kind of observing culture and society is you can start to observe uh, and once you start to look for patterns you start to see them all over the place and and that's what one of the things is I started to look at at Bitcoin uh, and just is a basic topography of it is it the the close resemblance to like uh, mycelial um, you know mushroom and fungi networks and just the organic growth of the network across the world. It just, it's so, if you look at when they do the visual visualizations of it, it, it just so closely resembles these types of things. And I've, 
uh, you know, been doing a lot more research into things like slime molds and um, just the kind of the collective intelligence of of ants. And Bitcoin is very much like that. It's this collective intelligence of, you know, tens of thousands of millions of people that are kind of moving the network. It's just not, you know, we a lot of times we focus on the technology, you know, the consensus mechanism, right? But all that really does is just kind of mimic nature. Anything that doesn't mimic nature, you constantly have to fight to make it work. And things that naturally flow with nature and flow in natural patterns tend to be able to be, be much smoother. And I think that's why you know previous versions of of digital currencies did not work and where bitcoin did because it it started to recognize the natural flows in in humanity and nature you know things uh, such as the you know, the game theory that satoshi introduced on top of proof of work and as you said it, it basically taking energy which is everything uh, can be converted into energy and you know using that for uh for proof of work it just once i started to look at that it was just a very you know, it's it's a beautiful system when you really start to kind of look beyond just uh, you know RAM chips and and processors and ASICs and all that kind of stuff. One another way I put it because I know I know everyone likes uh, likes sound bites, but basically uh, you know the the universe is the you know physical manifestation of nature. And uh, I firmly believe that, that Bitcoin is its digital manifestation. Uh, so, you know, Bitcoin is a, is a universe uh, in its own right. Oh, absolutely. It's, it, you know, uh, Gigi's written about this as well as kind of it, it's, it creates its own gravity um, where it, it pulls people, pulls, you know, individuals into it. And uh, once you kind of embrace that pull, I think uh, it, it makes your transition into it uh, much, much easier. And, you know, uh, going back um, to, you know, the, the the religious aspect of it, you talked about your kind of conversion experience and, uh, you know, how it, it affects in uh, your daily life. But, you know, every religion, um, whether it's uh, animalistic, uh, very early prehistoric or kind of the modern um, incarnations of it, you know, they all have, uh, you know, sets of rituals that develop, right? And and these sorts of rituals help to um, reveal truths of that of that religion and the, their teachings. And they, they do that because at, at first people are just trying to figure out whatever it is that has been discovered. And then rituals get end up getting used um, to uh, a lot of times just focus people on what it is that they're trying to get out of that experience and as well as form a community, right? And the stronger communities means a, a stronger faith and the ability to spread that. But, um, you know, I was one, wondering how do you see what the, the rituals of, of Bitcoin are, um, whether they're major or minor, or if you if you want to uh, phrase them as sacraments of it, but how do you view those as as kind of developing or have developed within Bitcoin? So, uh, for about the past year and a half, uh, I've been banging on about the concept of uh, of the tithe. Now, several religions uh, have the tithe. I think all of the major Abrahamic religions do: Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. Uh, you know, in uh, in different ways uh, and forms, but effectively, it's uh, you know giving a fixed portion 
of your income to the church, uh, you know, to further the church's mission. And uh, and I think the 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 best the the thing to do, uh, what people can do to further Bitcoin's mission is the tithe. Uh, so you know, uh, every week, every paycheck, whatever it is, set aside a, a fixed percentage of your income, and uh, and go from there. Uh, but uh, up until recently, that's been very difficult to do, uh, namely because of the unfortunate nature of human psychology. So it's uh, easy enough to say that, yep, this week uh, I'm going to put a uh, hundred dollars a week into Bitcoin. This week, a uh, hundred dollars. You open your uh, you open your you know exchange account on Monday. You've seen that the price has dipped five percent, and you say, you know what, uh, I'll buy tomorrow. And you know tomorrow comes and say, you know what, I'll buy tomorrow. And then days go past. Uh, you know, uh, you miss uh, you miss your opportunity. You buy back in later. There's always elements of of human psychology that that stop you hitting the button. Uh, now, one thing that's uh, that's evolved out of the community, and I, and I like to think uh, uh, it's uh, you know it's the noise that I uh, I made uh, hopefully played some part in this, but there's been an evolution towards uh, uh, the auto DCA uh, functionality. So over the past three or four months, uh, a lot of uh, companies. Uh, new companies have either popped up or old companies have changed uh, their their business models to allow people to do a set and forget uh, recurring DCA, which is effectively uh, their tithe. Now, why is this uh, uh, such an important sacrament? A lot of people, uh, you know, have the utopic vision of you know Bitcoin. You know, will 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 free. Uh, uh, disadvantaged Africans and Indians and and uh, Southeast Asians and they'll have circular economies and everyone will get paid in Bitcoin the whole supply chain blah 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 but if Bitcoin's only worth ten thousand uh, bucks it's not very useful for anything uh, it's way too volatile uh, you know currently at the moment inflation is still quite high a lot of people say, you know, what do you mean inflation's high? But you know, every day, eighteen hundred bitcoins still need to be absorbed. Uh, but if you are a regular uh, uh, tither, whether that's uh, hourly, so there's a there's a, there's a new uh, company I learned off yesterday. I think it's called SparkSwap, allows you to do hourly DCA into Bitcoin. Uh, a lot of other services obviously allow uh, daily, weekly, fortnightly, monthly, quarterly, whatever you like. Now, uh, I've got another catchphrase. Uh, if you want the price to be stable, you've got to put your nuts on the table. So all of us Bitcoiners, if we want the price to stable and have a, a, have a firm, solid floor that, you know, inclines, uh, slopes up over the long term as, as more tithers jump on board, uh, Bitcoin's never going to succeed and never going to be stable. So I think probably the only, the main religious duty that the that the Bitcoiner has, because uh, look, if uh, you, you can't just uh, beat about it, you've got, you got to be about it. So if you're taking the moral stance that you want to take down the, the fiat system, you want to be a revolutionary, and you're not willing to put up 10% of your, your income to opt out of the system, uh, you know, uh, uh, what, are you, what are you here for? What's uh, where's where's your skin in the game? Uh, for me, Bitcoin's always been uh, a moral imperative, and basically a hundred percent 
uh, of my disposable income uh, goes into stat stacking. So I'm a daily stacker and uh, I'm still happy for Bitcoin to go to zero because I've dug my heels in. I'm taking a moral stance and, uh, and you know, uh, Bitcoin being the, the greatest charity uh, humanity has ever seen, I'm going to keep supporting this charity so that it realizes its full potential. What's well, you know? It's interesting you talk about skin in the game because that's that's something that I I, I think that often gets overlooked because you look at um, the the criticisms of the so-called you know toxicity, uh, especially in in Bitcoin and Bitcoin maximalist right of you know it's so toxic. Um, individuals who want to uh, you know we just a lot of people in other projects or you know, iterations or, or people that don't understand, you know, we'll talk about, well, you know, we, we don't really have a beef with you in Bitcoin. We just want to build this thing, this token that uh, you can use to trade uh, to, to turn in for, for cows, you know, or whatever at the end of the slaughter season or whatever it may be. Right. And I really have, I really don't have any, any faith whatsoever in, in, um, in, in the short term you're talking about, because there's always going to be, competition um against bitcoin because there's there's never a, a, a end point to this game where there's not you know uh, people or you know individuals who think that they can do something better and are going to you, oh yeah so so this is this is how i this is the analogy i use so uh so basically right now uh, we're currently fighting the biggest war of good versus evil humanity has ever witnessed Good, clean, pure money versus evil money. Right? We're starting off as as uh, revolutionaries. We got all kinds of people involved in our, you know, in our volunteer army. We got, uh, you know, developers who we'll call, you know, weapons developers, right? Defensive technology, offensive technology, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, you've got your your chaplains and friars like me, uh, boosting morale. And, you know, for the people that can't contribute to the, you know, to the attack and uh, defense uh, capabilities, we can go into our big, big, big sand pit, fill up sandbags and, uh, you know, start building up a base. And, you know, over time, our, uh, our weapons are being getting stronger. Our defenses are getting stronger. Uh, you know, we're, we're starting to make uh, good headway uh, into, into enemy territory in our fight. And, uh, you know, as we're trying to fill up our sandbags, uh, there are shit coiners in the sandpit building sandcastles. And we just want them to get the hell out of our way. Uh, let us win this war. And then they can come back and play in the sand. Uh, so uh, so that, that's how I look at them. I don't see them as competition at all. I just see them as a big uh, pain in the ass nuisance uh, that's uh, delaying our war effort. Yeah, no, it, it, by competition, I just mean people that are going to, you know, say that they can do it better, right? And and in a way, whether or not that has any real ability to do so, it's it's still, uh, I guess you would say, they're, they're competing for the same hearts and minds um, that we are and just kind of, as you said, slowing slowing down that progress. But, you know, the, the I see this a lot, like within Ethereum, or the other, whatever you want to call it, world computer-ish, Ethereum killers, whatever you want to call those types of types of folks. But I see a lot of 
more of that talk of live and let live coming from them. Um, and to me, that just signals, especially that, that it's, that they have an even weaker position, um, than, than they think. Cause if, you know, where the t toxicity comes from is it's a very, it's a defense mechanism within the organism, right. Of, of, you know, the white blood cells of trying to get these things out of the, for using your analogy, get them out of the sandbox. And if you don't even have enough passion where you don't view Bitcoin as being something that you're competing against or trying to uh, upend, that I just don't see any uh, any kind of future for you. This is uh, Litecoin, right? Litecoin's a great example where they are constantly, anybody you talk to, well, I, we're not trying to defeat Bitcoin. We're not trying to replace Bitcoin. We're complementary to it. And, to, you know, that to me, if that's your main talking point is, well, we just kind of want to coexist at a lower level than you. Um, and we just want to help you out. It just says to me that you have no passion and you have no faith in, in what you're trying to promote. And you're, you're just, you know, defending this empty carcass of, of a thing and trying to pretend like that, like it's still alive. Look, I'll, I'll also play, play cynic here. Uh, a lot of these developers, uh, especially the, the new ones that, that came about in 2017, uh, you know, if uh, they probably enter the mindset, if I'm not already here with bags, why should I contribute freely and voluntarily uh, to an open source ecosystem? where even if my developments help pump the price of Bitcoin, I don't have enough bags for it to matter. So let me just create my own shitcoin, uh, pre-mine it and sell it to stupid people. Uh, so so I'm, of the, I'm of the camp that every single, uh, every single developer not working on Bitcoin is a scammer. Well, I was uh, just talking. So I'll take the hardline approach. Yeah, no, and, and I don't, I don't, disagree with with the sentiment um i do think i was just talking i talked to giacomo about this um offline it wasn't in the episode um and then i was talking to another individual and he's not a, a bitcoiner uh he, he, I mean, he's a is aware of it and he's kind of read a little bit about it but uh, the interview that i did before and he was talking about the the, the use of the word scam and you know i i talked to giacomo about that as well as I don't think it's necessarily wrong uh, to, to call those things scams, but I do think that in a way we end up um, overusing it in the way that, you know, racism has been overused, where racism now or racist uh, by certain elements of society and calling somebody else that they basically what they mean is you don't agree with me um, and, and now you are that. And it's been overused, in my opinion, to the point where now when it's used against actual people who fit that description, it, it has a lot less bite. And I, I do think there's a differentiation in, in, uh, in an aspect or in a certain way of people who something like, let's say, you know, OneCoin is probably the, the biggest example of a true total scam. Uh, they didn't even have even an attempt to make a blockchain. It was just a SQL database that they had um, and probably still do. And all they were oh, doing, people are still buying one coin. Yeah. As a matter of fact, but now that they've been kicked out of every, yeah, it's, it's sad. Uh, one of the, um, well, they're targeting people in the third world saying, Hey, you know, Bitcoin. And they use, they use the name of Bitcoin of saying, 
hey, you know, wouldn't you have loved to get into Bitcoin was a dollar and now it's, you know, $10,000 or, you know, back in 2017, it's fifteen twenty thousand dollars $20,000 now. And using that as a, as a way just to steal, you know, the, the, the poorest of the poor of the world's, you know, few pieces, of a uh, few coins that they can, you know, rub together. But, you know, that's a, a, a genuine, genuine total scam. Whereas there are, I'm not for those projects, but I do think that there are some people out there um, who are completely misguided. They either don't realize that what they're going to do or what they're trying to do either can't work or there's there's no way that it can survive um, Bitcoin and what Bitcoin is going to just replace any kind of functionality that they may ever be able to offer. Um, but I was just wondering, do you think having taken that hard line, do you think that there's any danger in in saturating the space with the word scam and and then it's much more difficult for people if they hear that when they first get into this space everything's a scam everything's a scam and then they really go well you know this does actually make sense and i'm just not going to believe anything that they say about any real scam or any uh, you know one coin true scam uh, do you, yeah, i'm just wondering if you think that there's any danger in, in doing that look uh, yes and no so me just at a personal uh, ethical level, and I'd imagine a lot of Bitcoiners uh, uh, share the same sentiment because a lot of us are here for the exact same reason is uh, looking after the little guy and protecting the weak. So it's a natural reaction uh, to call these things out, especially if, if, you've, if you've spent some considerable time in the space. So for, for guys like you and I, we've seen every single shit coin come and go. Uh, the ones that haven't went yet are down 95%. Uh, and the only reason uh, they're, they're not gone yet is because you know, they're still profitable for shitcoin casinos and uh, aren't going to get delisted anytime soon. Uh, so, you know, maybe, maybe the word scam uh, is a little bit uh, confrontational, uh, but sometimes... Uh, uh, you need that that aggressive word to you know trigger that response uh, that might get uh, uh, several several like uh, you know onlookers. You know, just uh, if the word scam uh, uh, triggers them to the point where they go to Google and type in "is XX shitcoin a scam," and you know uncover uh, a page of you know thorough uh, reviews, uh, you know, debunking the, their particular business model and all that kind of stuff. I think uh, that can only be a positive thing. Now, unfortunately, uh, a lot of scam coins spend a lot on SEO and, uh, you know, the, the front page of, uh, of the search engine will be filled with fluff pieces. Uh, but, you know, all, all one can do uh, is, is warn uh, and advise and, uh, it all boils down to, to do your own research, take your own risks. Uh, but, you know, none of us, none of us want to see people, you know, uh, get, get wrecked by, by scammers. A lot of us pray for a soft landing. So that's why we're kind of, or at least I am, I'm happy that there's basically zero institutional interest in Bitcoin right now. That gives the little guy a bit, a bit more of a, uh, a chance, uh, to accumulate, uh, on the cheap. Uh, so that's just my natural, that's just how I am personally. I don't like seeing people get wrecked because, because uh, uh, you know, I've seen in the past wreckage causes deaths 
it's something that's not really discussed uh, much in the in the you know crypto world. But the amount of suicides uh, in a bear market is horrendous. Uh, you know, you 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 read uh, several cases, but it's just not something uh, not something that's discussed. Uh, financial ruin, uh, uh, you know, ruins ruins everything. Uh, so uh, so that's why sort of deep down in our hearts we just uh, don't want anyone to get wrecked by these people and also we don't want to see scammers get rich uh, off the off the wreckage of others no absolutely i remember there's that scene in the big short i don't know if you've seen that movie about the 2008 financial crisis where uh, brad pitt's character and they were they were really excited the uh the two guys the younger guys that they just uh, were able to purchase basically these these uh shorts on a bunch of these uh, uh i can't remember the the tranches of of uh of these housing loans and they were really really excited and brad pitt stopped them and he was talking about you know like if we're right this is going to be a financial collapse that we haven't seen um at that point they didn't know if this was going to take down the whole system at all but he, he talked about the statistic of for every one percent that uh, unemployment goes down or goes up forty thousand people die and now we haven't reached that level with bitcoin where we're talking about those types of levels yet but i mean just uh, statistically it's going to affect people uh, at a much lower rate but it does and and as far as for Philosophically, I completely agree with you because we are, as far as for these things being scams, because what we're trying to do is enable, you know, sovereignty of the individual at a level that we previously hadn't thought possible um, before, you know, Bitcoin and, uh, the you know, the Internet age, which enabled Bitcoin to, to uh, you know, jump onto the, onto the world stage. And... Anything that is slowing that progress down or, uh, you know, uh, retarding the effect of, of Bitcoin's adoption uh, is, I, I think, uh, you know, falls into that level of, you know, maybe not uh, calling everything a, a scam, but definitely being a, a enemy of, you know, people's sovereignty, which is the, the most important aspect and the most important principle, I think, that we can, that we can push forward. Yeah, no, totally, totally agree. And uh, and look, eventually, uh, like I think all of us fundies have enough faith in Bitcoin. Like uh, we know it's going to be the only one. Uh, it's just a matter of uh, it's just a matter of when, really. And I I really do wish that a lot of these casinos, uh, you know, at least the industry leaders, uh, grow a bit of spine. And, you know, just keep their books to maybe 10 or 15 shit coins. Uh, you don't need to list 150 of them. Uh, stop giving these, stop giving these uh, uh, basically uh, wealth transfer mechanisms, transfer from, from retail to free miners. Just stop giving them any, any means, uh, you know, to, to rob people. You know, in talking about, you know, the... Bitcoin developing this this religion, the spirituality around it. it. It isn't, you know, I mentioned Ethereum and them as as not really having that same level of of passion uh, to the level that you see within within Bitcoin. But we do see different projects, I guess, if you want to call them that, 
starting uh, as well to exhibit some signs. But most of these really just revolve around the occult of personality, right? So you see Justin's son with Tron, Vitalik with Ethereum. Um, BSV is, is probably being the most stark example of, of a cult of personality. And I, w I would call that a... I mean, it does have the same, uh, a lot of the same types of, of, of attributes that we see within uh, a religion, but it's it's much more precipitous in that when it's around a individual uh, versus a set of principles, then it's it's much more prone to failing, especially once that individual dies, right? But in your opinion and, and in your experience as well, what do you think that makes Bitcoin different and more resilient than these, you know, not the technology or scaling solutions or whatever, but really the, the philosophy and the, and the, I guess the, the brethren, the people that are participating in it. So, so for me, the main one is if it doesn't exist in nature, it can't exist in Bitcoin. And, uh, and that's, that's the winning, that's the winning combo. So it's Bitcoin's extremely, it's extremely organic. And, uh, and if you look at a lot of these, you know, uh, uh, altcoin projects and, and smart, you know, platform, smart contract platforms or whatever it is, uh, not all of them uh, seem very natural or organic. Uh, so they're, you know, they're just destined, they're just destined to fail as, uh, as things that have been unnatural and unorganic have failed for billions of years uh, uh, before us. And it, it was that I can't. I, I'm sorry, but I, I forget that interview that that I, I just recently. I think it was last week. I was listening to it, and I can't remember what it was. But you were talking about the, the same subject um, about you know the the Bitcoin religion and everything. But you'd couch that term when you were talking with the, with the hosts and, and to the audience as well. That you know it's not like a, a traditional religion, but kind of more secular. And I was wondering, what do you mean by that? As well as the kind of this impulse to discount, you know, I guess you'd say more traditional supernatural religions, um, in in a way that it, as though it had better trade off or worse trade offs than say uh, a secular religion does. Because in the way that I view, we've over time we've just replaced you know, traditional supernatural religions in especially Western society with very uh, more secular ones, politics, um, group identity, and, and tribalism as well. But I was just wondering, you know, both uh, of why you feel that Bitcoin is, is more secular than supernatural and, and why you have a, a I don't want to say put words in your mouth and saying an aversion, but but somewhere along that line. So, so for me, actually, uh, you could sub the word religion uh, uh, for philosophy. I consider those two words interchangeable. And, uh, and you know, uh, holding the Bitcoin secular philosophy and a, uh, you know, traditional uh, religious philosophy aren't necessarily mutually exclusive uh, for a lot of people. Now, where the secular aspect uh, of Bitcoin comes in is that you don't have to believe anything. You have to believe in something, but you don't have to believe anything uh, because there's no belief required. Uh, everything's verifiable. Everything's transparent. But you have to believe in the philosophy of, uh, you know, hard money uh, and uh, everything that rolls on uh, from hard money. 
and uh, and effectively uh, the the you know the the difference the contrast to that in the traditional uh, religions is uh, you need to believe in a deity and then also believe in uh, in the scripture so there's there's the contrast so uh, it bitcoin doesn't require belief about something but belief in uh, uh, something uh, particularly uh, the philosophy effectively of Austrian economics and libertarianism. Uh, but Bitcoin is uh, politically agnostic. And if, uh, you know, communists want to use Bitcoin, Bitcoin's also for communists. Uh, you know, in a, in a, in a world where, where Bitcoin takes over, there's nothing to stop communists forming a commune and, you know, uh, uh, bootstrapping their circular economy with Bitcoin. Uh, and and that's uh, that's really what makes it so special. Like uh, Bitcoin is money for enemies. Uh, any any uh, philosophy uh, can adopt it and benefit from it. Well, yeah, I'd actually done uh, a a while back. I did an interview with uh, BTC socialist. I don't know if you, you've probably seen him on on Twitter, and he does a lot of uh, uh, stuff on on Lightning. And it, it was it was really interesting to hear because it was. For the most part, although he did he he disagreed with the fact that most early Bitcoiners were libertarians, and that 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 could be true, mostly just because that's where I came from, and that's most of the people that I talked to uh, at that time. And uh, you know, he's not necessarily wrong in that there were um, uh, Amir Taki. I mean, he's he's I I believe kind of falls along that line as well. And uh, it, it is a really interesting thing in that. Yeah, I mean, if if you do want whatever political system you want to have, you can use Bitcoin, you know, freely. There's nobody uh, that's going to censor your ability and and your group's ability to you know uh, uh, access the network to be able to transfer, you know, UTXO sets amongst yourselves, and any more than it would be for the the most uh, voluntarist uh, society that that existed uh, right next door. But, but look, also going back to that, a lot of these days, socialists don't even know what they want. So a major aspect of the socialist philosophy is, uh, is social justice and, uh, and injustice. And a lot of them hate capitalism. Uh, but what we see today is it's simply, it's not capitalism. It's not true. It's a big straw man that they're attacking. What we have today is, uh, is corporatism and, and Keynesianism. So it's effectively what happens is, uh, you know, cancel in effect, rich get all the money, rich can, you know, spend that money on evil pursuits, government reprints the money, and gives it back to the rich. Uh, in a Bitcoin world, this just simply isn't possible. Even the Winklevi, you know, they got 250,000 Bitcoin or whatever it is. Once the Bitcoin's spent, it's gone. Uh, you need to re-earn it. Uh, so over time, uh, you know, the, the, the global wealth distribution, and I can see this happening over, over the period of 100 to 150 years, uh, sounds like a long time, but it's a, it's a fart in the, in the scheme of, of human civilization. Uh, but I really do believe we'll see a, a normal distribution uh, of wealth in the world where you have a very big, heavy uh, middle class concentrated around the mean. You've got obviously your your ultra uh, ultra wealthy tails on uh, on one side, a couple of deviation standard deviations away, and then unfortunately you still have the ultra poor 
uh, in the tail on the other end. And I think uh, uh, there'll be enough to go around where the, where the ultra rich can, can support the ultra poor and uh, the middle class is, is also strong enough uh, to have uh, a, a high degree of, uh, of that economic burden as well. So I, you know, uh, they say who's gonna who's gonna build the who's gonna build the roads, who's gonna look after social security. Uh, I think once the the normal distribution is approved, uh, uh, or not approved, is uh, is realized, uh, I think a lot of these uh, a lot of these problems and motivations for socialism and communism will go away. Well, in in through the the mechanism of the markets and and uh, true free market capitalism. You know, we ha we will see that that distribution. I mean, we've we've already seen it. Even as bad as the interjections into the markets uh, with with Keynesians in the West, the the fragments of of the markets that are allowed to operate, um, whether they're we're talking about the West or you know the opening of the markets in 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 uh, in China. Um, you know, back in the in the seventies and the eighties and up through today, and while they're not as free as we are, that opening of of markets and through the mechanism of the of the free markets, we have seen. Uh, you're always going to have people on the bottom end of the spectrum because nobody. You're not going to have a, a vertical group. But but I'll I'll tell you why that is is because this is nature. Yeah. Like it's very rare in a population to see perfect everything solid line everyone's average there's always some form of normal distribution where you have the fittest uh, the weakest and then the and then the middle of the population mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so if it if it doesn't exist in nature it can't exist in bitcoin and what i was getting at is is that what the these mechanisms do is they actually drag that you know the whole scale because they talk about the rich getting richer but nobody talks about how the poor are getting richer we've seen over the last decade we've seen the population of the in, in the in the globe in the, in the entire globe the global population you know we had 30 percent 10 years ago of people lived in what is defined like i don't know whose metric or whether this is the the un or um you know the uh, oedcp but it's about 30% of the population lived in poverty in the globe. And over the last 10 years, not in the last hundred or a thousand years, we've seen that shrink from uh 30% to, I believe it was 14 or 17%, which is amazing. I mean, that, that itself is just a miracle. And so when we talk about, yeah, in the Bitcoin future, there's still going to be poor people. It's like, yeah, but those poor people are still going to be way better off than they were, you know, decades or centuries prior. So I agree, but the people lobbying hardest for socialism aren't those uh, effectively the the you know up and coming unemployed barista in Oregon uh, doesn't care about the people living on a dollar a day. Uh, he cares about why he's so disadvantaged in a rich country like America. Uh, now, uh, and that's where uh, I think Bitcoin comes in. Uh, uh, more to the to the universal scale because what works you know on five dollars a day in in one place doesn't work on five dollars a day uh, in another so that's a that's another problem in its own right and that's one of those uh, wait and see things to just see uh, to see how it's gonna gonna materialize uh, but uh, 
you know, with, with Bitcoin circular economies and a, and a capped currency, uh, we're going to see a huge, huge shift uh, from the right tail back into the left. So I can expect uh, uh, the poor to get far, far, far richer uh, in, a, in a short period of time, maybe 100 years. Uh, I could see Bitcoin eliminating poverty in 100 years. That and it, or like to... eliminating desperate poverty. Yeah. In less than a hundred years, maybe fifty years. Yeah, when we're talking about, you know, true poverty where where you're living on two to three dollars a day versus, you know, I, I have to have a you know, um, you know, a two thousand five Honda Civic. Uh I, I think that there's a big difference. And and really when you talk about in the West, when we're talking about uh, people advocating for socialism in the West, I mean for if you really look at it, that I mean, that is a to use their term. It, it, there's, you know, the only, the only way that you're able to do that is because you come from a position of privilege globally, um, to to, yeah, to be able to look at all these gains that we have, and all you know, just just the massive leaps that we've gone and uh, gone forward, and to look at that and then to be able to say, well, I, I'm still not at that farthest right spectrum. And, uh, you know, so I, I think that I just want to tear everything all down. Um, screw all the people on the, you know, because at the end of the day, that's what they're doing. If you want to eliminate free markets, you are screwing all the people on the left side of the spectrum because you want to move to the right a little bit and take all the people from the right and, and drag them to the left. And, you know, that's, that's just an immense position of privilege historically to be able to look at at the system that we have now that has done so much and to say well you know what i i think that i'll actually uh i'll, I'll be uh i'll be better off my circumstances will be better off if we just tear this whole thing down and we'll just see what all happens the the biggest trick the devil played was convincing people that corporatism was capitalism and i can definitely understand the anger of the socialists but they're misdirecting their anger uh, their anger should be aimed elsewhere uh, namely the fed yeah so so effectively you know the way i see it is the the federal reserve uh, sorry the fractional reserve uh, system uh, is so difficult to understand and uh, and is so it's offensive <laughs> uh and and when you when you explain it to people they just they just don't believe you they're like i uh works it can't like who let this happen uh so just just breaking through that wall that you know all of their all of their concerns and problems can effectively be fixed by turning the printers off yeah, I think that a lot of people, I mean, they understand um, that this concept of, you know, people who have political connections, right, are, are ha have the ability to improve their circumstances at a, at a much better uh, rate and, and uh, exponentially compared to, you know, some guy who's making 40 to 50,000 US dollars a year, right? You know, or a roughly middle class, middle of the road job uh, compared to somebody who's got enough money to be able to make maximum donations to a politician. They understand that. But I, a lot of people just don't understand this uh, concept of the way the central banks work. And the closer you are um, to the the uh, creation of money, right, which is the central banks um, and their 
printing endlessly of their fiat currency, the cheaper that that money is. And that's how they're able to get, you know, a uh, million dollars, let's just say uh, at 2.3% at, uh, and then loan it out for 3.6 or 10% or whatever it may be, depending on whatever loan we're talking about. And I mean, that's just a license to, to print money. I mean, I would love to be able to just go to the Fed and say, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to get a, uh, you know, a million dollars at at two point three percent, and then I could go out and and, you know, go loan that money out and and make my one or two percent off that as well. But you can't. You have to be in a privileged position within that system to be able to do that, and it's protected, uh, specifically to do that. And to to be somewhat fair within Bitcoin, the the closer you are to the the production of Bitcoin, there is a small premium you know, compared to what the, the miners are, because they have to, uh, they're either selling at cost or a little bit above and some a little bit more if you want to get really clean Bitcoin too. Um, so there is that slight premium, but nowhere near the same level of, of corruption and inefficiency that you see within central banks. And I, I think that, the, oh, go Bitcoin, ahead. The Bitcoin mining industry is extremely efficient. The The, the competition is the the competition in the bitcoin market is probably the the fiercest competition uh uh you will ever witness so in in econ 101 we all learn about perfect competition because it's just the easiest way uh, to explain competition because it's like uh, you know you free yourself of all externalities you just uh, focus on you know uh you know pre let's pretend that you know uh, all products are identical. Let's pretend that you can, you know, move the products around all over the world, uh, low barriers to entry and exit, yada, yada, yada. Mining is effectively, Bitcoin mining is effectively uh, an example of perfect competition. Uh, so, so they might make, uh, you know, premiums here and there during bulls, uh, especially during bull markets. Uh, but, you know, all of that, all of that profit is uh, is hard earned. There's very little rent seeking uh, within the mining industry. It's it's difficult to seek rent, whereas the banking system is effectively a system built on rent seeking. Borrow from the Fed at two, loan out at three. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't trying to insinuate that their uh, you know, Bitcoin miners are you know selling these things off at 10% because they can't and that's that's the one thing i've always really loved as well about bitcoin as far as from a free market perspective is the signals that the that the network uh sends is is very pure and the signals uh and and like you said the competition is cutthroat and the signals that you see coming from miners it is really clear. I mean, like you, you see as well right now, um, there, you know, the hash rate is, is at all time highs, um, as well as these massive mining facilities that you see being built, uh, in Texas and, and other parts of the world. Um, you know, you're seeing, uh, Russia, I believe it was in Russia. There's a couple spots where they're renting out, um, areas for data centers and, and, uh, and Bitcoin miners. And, these investments that they're making are not small at all. And the signals that they send out by doing that is, is, you know, very clear. Of course, we can't know the, the future a hundred percent, but they are also, um, you know, they, they do mine at times or, you know, for quite a bit of the last few years, uh, at times, uh, at, at losses. 
Um, so the the premiums, absolutely, as you said, the premiums that they do charge in bull markets are are often quite offset by the um, the losses that they they will entail during uh, during periods of of uh, low price. And look, a lot of these periods of low price don't realistically last that that long. And uh, a lot of miners, what people uh, you know overlook is that a miner doesn't have to pay their energy bill every day. A lot of these guys are on quarterly terms. So like they can, they can rough out three months before an electricity bill is due. Uh, so, uh, and you know, some of these mining companies have investors that, that are in the game uh, so they can uh, uh, make, uh, so they can get their hands on virgin coins or they want uh, exposure. They want big exposure to Bitcoin over the long term. So let's say I have uh, 500 million bucks and I want to buy some Bitcoin. Uh, to not cause craziness in the market, I uh, I might uh, throw 200 million down and start a mine uh, in a in a place with cheap electricity. And you know, as I buy more rigs and pay my electricity bills, I eventually get my 500 million dollar exposure to Bitcoin, uh, potentially at a good profit as well, when I, or rather I, at a good discount from spot. So like. Uh, it's it's difficult to to take uh, uh, you know mining as a as a monolithic entity because every miner just has uh, you know such different uh, uh, goals. Eventually, obviously, the the end goal is uh, is profitability, uh, but you know there's also uh, you know every every company has its own uh, you know risk profile and uh, you know profit uh, maximization uh, targets, and uh, and they don't always have to be rational. Uh, you know, some people would be happy to mine at a loss just to get their hands on virgin coins. And uh, actually, I wanted to to, to jump back uh, just a second because uh, to something that you were saying earlier, I forgot to, to ask you that um, when you were talking about traditional religions and the, the supernatural aspect of it is that, that Bitcoin doesn't require you uh, to um, um, believe something, but believe in something. And I was wondering, as far as because we talked a little bit earlier as well about uh, when we we're speaking on on shit coins, is that you know we do you know know that Bitcoin is is going to win out in the end, and you know would you maybe classify that a bit as uh, belief um, or a belief in kind of this this future that. You know, we don't know quite yet, you know, because you can never account for every single variable that could happen. And that, you know, it is a belief in, in Bitcoin ultimately winning um, somewhat of a belief of something versus in a philosophy. So effectively, what, what Bitcoin's finally given us the chance to do is uh, back our philosophy with money. So a lot of people like, you know, oh, I want to, whatever it is, save to save the rainforest or, or whatever that is. Yeah. A lot of people can talk about saving the rainforest, but the only way to, <laughs> the rainforests are going to be uh, saved is through the, uh, through the exertion of energy. And Gigi always says everything in the world, flipping zeros to ones needs energy. And uh, you know, the energy that goes into saving the rainforests uh, effectively you can substitute energy for money. So if you envisage a world with thriving rainforests, you got to put your money where the mouth is, and you know you got to you got to spend money uh, on saving the rainforests. Uh, 
uh, exact same thing with Bitcoin. You want a libertarian, free, uh, self-sovereign future, limited government control. Uh, no one's going to deliver that to you but yourself. Uh, so if you want to, uh, you know, see your worldview materialize and you think it's the correct worldview, bet on it. Let's have a bet. In, in that way, because you were uh, talking at the very beginning about your sitting on these massive uh, 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 being in the red from your you know early purchases and uh, really up until probably well, yeah, it, very, 2016? very late 2016. Yeah. So from late 2013 to late 2016, a little earlier than 2016, the end, because I was averaging down. Uh, but yeah, roughly a thousand days. So like two and three quarter years. Yeah, and, and and to me that's you know another aspect that that closely mimics uh, you know religion is that it you know requires that as you said as in uh, at the very beginning and that, that it requires a sacrifice, right? A, the a exile sacrifice. in the desert. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and you know with putting your money where your mouth is and and being able to basically bet by by your tithe bet by your uh sacrifice of you know you could have you know went and bought uh, a nicer car you could have went and bought a, a new tv or gone on that vacation but instead you decided to uh basically sacrifice to the network um your uh, a portion of the value that you hold right now um to that network um in 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 basically a uh, in a tithe of support for a, a better future for for the for the believers. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely right. I've always been a I've always been a man that loves to have a bet. Uh, you know, that's you know that's effectively how people get wealthy. They form a, a hypothesis uh, about something. Uh, they back it with their money. And if their hypothesis is correct, they get wealthy. Whether you're a stock investor, a real estate investor, a business person, it always comes down uh, to viewing a risk and rolling the dice on that risk. Uh, so, uh, so for me, I'm rolling the dice that we're, you know, we're going to have a fair world in the future. And if uh, my dice roll is wrong, well, you know, uh, sucks for humanity, doesn't it? Well, and and you know, going back to the the philosophy of of this and kind of your own personal experience, you know, uh, in, in I would say probably America has probably the largest, uh, not only uh, group of but probably per capita of people that are uh, within kind of this libertarian sphere of uh, you know very uh, if you want to give it a broad big tent uh, definition. And when I was talking to uh, Max Hillebrand a couple of weeks ago, I asked him about what it was like uh, for him being in, in Europe, uh, being someone that believed in Austrian economics and, and kind of the, the libertarian ideals of, you know, the sovereignty of the individual above uh, above the group or just not the, the group being the most, uh, the, you know, the, the, the good of all being um, the most important ethos versus the the good of yourself as an individual and that being kind of a, a very sovereign thing what is uh and you're the first person i've talked to uh, on an interview uh, being from uh, australia and i was just wondering what is kind of the state of that the ethos of libertarianism and, and austrian economics within australia is it uh, enough where you have a, a community of, of like-minded people that you kind of 
can turn to, I imagine in Sydney, it's a lot better than say being in a smaller uh, area of Australia. But I was just wondering what the, the health of the uh, individual sovereign is in, in Australia and what that was like for you. Was it lonely? Oh, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty poor. Actually. We're one of the biggest nanny States uh, in the world, I'd say. Uh, but uh, we do have a good, uh, we do have a good crop of uh, libertarian kids. So I've, I've managed to hang out in, in libertarian circles, you know, since I was in uh, my early twenties. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of, you know, kids, kids that are keen on, uh, on Liberty. Uh, but, you know, in terms of, uh, it's sometimes very demoralizing <laughs> to, to live in Australia uh, because of the extent of the, of the nanny state. Like we have these encryption laws, which force all companies to, to create secret backdoors in their products for the government uh, to use. And, uh, you know, whistleblowers will go to jail for, if they talk about their, their backdoors, uh, where effectively the, the uh, used as a tool by the five eyes intelligence agencies to, you know, effectively spy on the world. Uh, Australia is a bit of a disaster uh, when it comes to liberty. And uh, that's why there's so many Aussie Bitcoiners. We're putting our, uh, our money uh, where our mouth is and saying we're not going to stand for this nanny state crap anymore and you know our vision of the future is to escape the nanny state and uh aussies we love a bet we bet on anything and uh i think this is a the most honorable uh, uh bet we can take and in my view it's almost a no risk bet and you know kind of continuing down that line of I, i'm just wondering because you know australia and america kind of have a, a very common uh, ancestry, right? So we both uh, originated out of out of um, the you know British Empire, and uh, y yourselves and, and Canada are much closer uh, to to that than than we were with with a full break. But I, I'm wondering why do you think that there, and it's diminishing by the day in in America it seems. But um, why do you think that there's there's a hardier uh, uh, reverence for kind of the individual liberty in america versus say australia or canada because the australian people that you know this is very subjective but that i've met uh, it just seems like it's it's a, a a place where people are a lot more and this is not in a pejorative sense but a lot more uh you know rough yeah but 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 also uh, not as sensitive i guess as as americans have come uh, to to be about you know whether it's you know just kind of uh, you know rough rougher conversations as far as for not being as offended by you know coarser language and things like that. Where in America that's you know you, you it's not that you don't find that, but generally speaking, I find that uh, that Aussies are are much more okay with someone being uh, a little bit more rough around the edges and and how they talk and and inter interact with each other. Yeah, we're we're losing it though. People have lost their minds in the in the in the Trump era, so we have a the the SJW uh, uh, sickness has started to infiltrate the Australian airwaves. A lot more people are getting offended about everything. Uh, so we used to be rough. They call us fair dinkum. We call things as we see them. We're not afraid to offend people. Very very real. Uh, but at the same time, Australia doesn't have a Bill of Rights, uh, and I think. Uh, 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 America is the second greatest idea in history.
you know, the idea of America, uh, you know, the life, liberty, and the and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, First Amendment, Second Amendment, Fourth Amendment, Fifth Amendment. Uh, these are all, I think, uh, you know, when looked at in totality, the the, the second greatest idea uh, in uh, in history. And I think they're deviating uh, from that idea uh, quite a bit. And I and I hope they can uh, they can revert to it uh, without uh, without any violence. I've been uh, monitoring the situation in uh, in Virginia. Uh, with a lot of interest and uh, yeah that'll be a great litmus test to see uh, if the Americans are going to stand for getting their rights taken away yeah that is that is very interesting because I, I do see it as a, as a test case uh, for other states as well because it's it's not you know Virginia is not a, a, a totally blue or red state it, it depends on where you go if you look at all the counties together I mean it's very purple it, it goes either way in a lot of ways but it also does have there's a lot of rural communities and the more rural you get the more uh protective of their of their rights as, as far as for the second amendment goes so that'll be very interesting to see how that goes cuz you guys in Australia I think was it back in the 80s was when you lost uh, the majority of your of your rights and that, like you said you, you don't have a bill was yeah, it early, early 90s? 90s okay but yeah we don't have a bill of rights that's very interesting yeah so uh but we're super chill like the weather's always great uh actually we've been on fire for the last couple of months but it's finally rained these past few days so that's helping out with the fires uh you know, like where it's a you know very isolated place. It's this is almost like the the planet of Australia. It's uh, you know we sh we share a lot of things with the West, obviously being you know part of the Anglosphere, uh, but it really is a, a very unique place. And uh, I've I've been all over the world and lived in a lot of places, and I'd say uh, quality of life uh, Australia probably can't be beaten. Uh, but that's uh, you know, you got to cop the good with the bad. We have all these uh, cool things to enjoy, peace and quiet, uh, low crime, all of that kind of stuff. But we're, we're in a nanny state and we're, we're taxed uh, to the teeth because we have a lot of, you know, socialized, uh, you know, programs. Uh, the government nannies us to make sure we don't draw on those programs. Well, you know, it's kind of somewhat similar, I guess, to, to my experience in that I, you know, I've grown up in the United States my whole life, but I also, you know, kind of grew up outside of it in, in that I was born and raised in Alaska, which is both geographically and somewhat culturally uh, distinct from the what we call the lower 48 states. And there's very much kind of um, uh, somewhat similar. A lot, you know, people in Alaska. A lot of them moved up uh, post Vietnam War, um, and a lot of uh, that these areas are just people who want to be left alone, and they moved up there to be left alone. And most people are are pretty pretty chill in in that way as well, compared to when you go to more established states. Um, you know, on the, especially on the Eastern seaboard, but it's, it's very much, you know, it's very similar in that way where, uh, you know, people are, especially 
it's slightly different from Australia in that you guys have been a, a country for a very long time. But, you know, we being a new state and most people are all transplants. They weren't born there. Um, everyone's kind of it's almost like a chosen community versus a I was born into it sort of thing. And uh, and, and it is a, it is a very unique place in and of itself. But um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I don't want to keep you too much longer. We've been uh, going for almost an hour and a half. But, you know, I, I re- yeah, but I, I, I appreciate you. I, I know that uh, you're quite a bit of you're in the future uh, from where I'm yeah. at. And <laughs> oh, but the day's just getting started. So uh, it's fine. That's a beautiful Bitcoin day. And and uh, but how can people get a hold of you, uh, you know, consume your content and, uh, you know, be able to get in contact with you? Yeah, so uh, Twitter, it's uh, it's Friar Hass, F-R-I-A-R-H-A-S-S. And uh, I've got some links on my Twitter page, I think, but uh, you can also find me on, on Medium. Uh, that's medium.com slash at Hassmacook, H-A-S-S-M-C-C-O-O-K. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's how you can find me. DMs uh, always open, always down for a Bitcoin chat. And... Uh, and yeah, that's about it. Well, you know, thanks again. I, you know, I appreciate uh, appreciate the time that you spend here, and uh, hopefully, we can talk soon. Oh, that's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on.